where nobody knows your name is recorded in front of nobody. Hello and welcome to Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. We've got a great episode for you today. We're talking about season seven, episode 20, Call Me Irresponsible. It aired on the 13th of April, 1989, and was written by Dan O'Shannon and Tom Anderson. I'm John. And I'm James, and I will call you irresponsible. Ah, how dare you, James? I rose to the challenge. (laughs) (laughs) It's, of course, named after the, uh, the song, isn't it? Written in 1962 by Sammy Kahn and Jimmy Van Huysen. It was introduced in the film Papa's Delicate Condition uh, in 1963, sung by Jackie Gleason, and it won an Oscar for Best Original Song. It was also a hit for Old Blue Eyes, uh, Frankie Sinatra himself, in 1964. Oh, you kicked off with, I want to say there was at least about seven facts in there, James. I I just went, I heard you like facts, here's a smorgasbord. (laughs) Of, of facts. <laughs> well, a strong start. I have to say, it's a busy episode. There's a lot that goes on in there. I don't know what who's calling who irresponsible. I have forgotten what this episode was about, and I'm sure we'll find <laughs> out as the episode goes on. John and I went for brunch, and I, I, was, on, I was on the alcohol straight away. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, James, to rejog your memory, should we start with the cold open? which is uh, quite a lovely scene in Cheers, where someone from Sam's past orders a drink from him. Yes, I did like this. It was, um, it felt nostalgic. It was nostalgic for Sam, but so effective that we felt the nostalgia also, which was nice. I'm not sure the character had a name, but I'm going to call her Mrs. Heckler. Uh, her name was Marge Thornhill. Well, I'm going to call her Mrs. Heckler because that's what she was. She used to she used to heckle uh, Sam all the time in his baseball playing days. Uh, initially, Sam doesn't recognise her, but then she starts giving him some of her old quips. She used to shower him through, from the stand. I went to every home game you ever played. Uh, Marge, there are a lot of people up in the stands here. Sure, but you got to remember me. I always sat right behind first base, five rows up. Remember. I used to get there early so I could watch you warm up in the bullpen. I'm sorry. (laughs) I know you couldn't forget this. Hey, Malone, you pitch like my sister. Why don't you go home and make a dress? (laughs) Was that you? (laughs) Well, how have you been? Guys, I want you... Do the one where you say I couldn't get the ball across the plate if I drove it there in my car. As soon as he hears her say some of these lines, he instantly recognises her. They sort of have a slight reminisce and he says, what can I get you to drink? And he makes her drink up. What does she do, James? She heckles the drink, John. Yeah, she cusses him out. He says, she says it's not a decent drink. She critiques the martini. I haven't drank many martinis. I've tried to make martinis myself and I have no frame of reference. So I drank them. <laughs> And went, hmm, olives. And uh, then I gave them to, to a friend and they went, yes, this is indeed alcoholic. And I went, yes, yes. I don't think they were anywhere as close in quality to the ones James Bond likes. <laughs> well, she, she says, what did you use for the month? Turpentine? Which Sam replies, the great ones never lose it. Oh, I do like old Margie T coming in criticising everything. She reminds me of a Statler and Waldorf. (laughs) 
just complaining from the uh, the balcony. <laughs> yep. Does that bring us into the main part of this episode, James? It does, and it's. Uh, I've remembered what the episode is about now because well, that's actually, that's a relief, James. Yeah, I've looked at my notes. <laughs> uh, it helps. Uh, it's Carla and Eddie's second wedding anniversary. But of course, Eddie is still with the uh, ice skating. I was going to say parade. That wouldn't work. Ice skating show that's touring around America at the point. Uh, so he's not going to be back for their anniversary to celebrate. But Carla, that's not going to stop him. Carla's expecting a big present to come by to show his gesture of love to her. Yes, and uh, it wouldn't be cheers if everything went to plan. So, you know, the clock's ticking and Eddie's not delivering. Uh, no, he's not. But uh, she's quite vocal about this. She says that she's expecting... Uh, a big surprise and tells everyone in the bar that Eddie's going to send her something. Uh, and she's sort of watching the clock through this episode to see what what's going to happen. What, what possibly could he have planned for her? Yeah. And uh, that's the main plot, but there's at least two other plots going on. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting because you say that's the main plot. I think, I, I think it was, but I think it's the one which I probably had the least investment in. Which one did you have the most investment in? I think probably the gambling one, but also... A little bit of gambling. Hey. The cranes. I also had a, quite a bit of an investment in that. I liked the cranes and Norm's previous episodes together. Yeah. So a continuation of that was very welcome. What should we start with? I think the gambling, because it's more... It's a longer arc, isn't it? Mm. Sam starts a basketball pool. You know, he's saying, oh, place your bets, people. Here is a square, a grid, a, an analog spreadsheet, if you will. <laughs> and uh, he says, you know, place place your bets on what the score will be at, within each quarter. Winner gets the takings. Though, as we've learned in a previous episode, John, uh, gambling, that's a no-no. Yeah. It, it seems to be getting quite a bit of traction. Everyone wants to get a little bit of a stake in the pool, if fancy their luck. But Rebecca gets sort of a whiff of this and says to Sam, we've had this conversation before. And Sam says, ah, oh, it's not gambling. It's just a game. It's a game. We're playing a... Uh, Something like mega tic-tac-toe or something. It's a great scene. This? Oh, no, no, thanks. This is not gambling. This is, uh, well, this is a game. Uh, haven't you ever heard of uh, championship tic-tac-toe? It's <laughs> a great game. Uh, who's next here? Me. All right. Uh, it's my turn. And I will take this square here. And, uh, oh, by the way, Sam, here's that five bucks I owe you. <laughs> You, you fell right into my trap there, buddy. Here you go. Oh, Sammy, by the way, this, uh, daddy your wallet is a couple of weeks ago. How stupid do you think I am? It's not particularly covert, but I suppose it doesn't need to be. It's plausible deniability, <laughs> is what it is. If any, if people come to your back and go, is there gambling in this establishment? No, no, no. They, they were drawing on a chalkboard and they were handing money to each other. But the, I can't say one way or another, whether those two were connected. <laughs> Sam does talk a little bit more about it. He gets he piques some of the interest from Woody as well, who's uh, a bit new to the old gambling, I'd say. But Woody signs up. He says he's not particularly comfortable with it, but Sam sort of, again, says it's sort of more of a game. Don't worry about it. Uh, but Rebecca also joins because she finds out that the pot of the pool is $500. And she says, $500, do you have any idea how long it would take me to earn that kind of money? And then buys three squares in the grid. Yeah, yeah. You ever gambled for profit, John? 
I know we've played poker, but we were both amateurs at that time. At that time, we've gone professional since. I, I, <laughs> I, I, no. <laughs> um, I've played poker for money before. I've hit the casino a few times, James, as well. I have been to a casino once in my life. I went there not knowing what to expect, and at five in the morning, I was eating chicken wings with someone called Jesus. So that was exciting. Yeah. And you never went back? What what's the, what happens in Glasgow stays in <laughs> Glasgow. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't go back. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think Sam runs a pretty good ship with his uh, illegal gambling trade. He knows who he's getting on board with the gambling. It's I'd say it's a selective pool of people who he's getting to put their money forward. Yeah, he's you know? not going around everyone in the bar going, "Hey, you want to be part of this gambling?" He's not an idiot. It's pretty much our regulars, I'd say. Yeah, exactly. That's playing out. Shall we briefly mention the Norm and Cranes storyline? Norman and the Cranes. <laughs> well, the, the Cranes arrive at Cheers and they're delighted to see Norm because they've got a little bit of a proposition for him. A little bit of a job. Yeah, which I think he's well suited to. Yeah, after decorating their living room in a previous episode called Norm Is That You? But this episode, they've got another room, James, haven't they? They've got the nursery of their unborn child. Oh, that's nice. But they've already put the brief together of what they want Norm to do. Paint. Yeah, paint. (laughs) There you go. Carl the Chameleon is back. I've heard green is a good neutral colour, but not a boring colour. So Mm. They've decided that they want Norm to decorate their unborn child's room. But they've said that uh, they don't want it to be cutesy-ootsy drivel. This is is a quote, James, that retards the child's creative and intellectual development. I don't know enough about psychology to confirm nor deny. I'm not sure if you could still say that term as a doctor nowadays. I mean, it means too slow. Yeah, I know, but I don't think the phrase has aged well. There has been a lot of negative semantics about it because it's been used as a noun to describe people with uh, learning or social disorders, hasn't it? Mm. But what they do say is they don't want to cram sexual identity down the baby's throat and they want a neutral room uh, that's sexually neutral. This is 1989 and they're already going, gender identity norm, whoa, back off. Was the norm their norm's name or was it norm as in norms? Whoa! (laughs) Both. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting. To me, this sets up quite an interesting plot. I don't think the episode fully capitalises on the plot. I was quite excited to see a norm-scented episode, but I don't think it really turned out to be that. But I did really enjoy this little scene. It was interesting. And I like how it comes back to it. Let's talk about what happens and we'll, then we'll go back to the gambling because I think it's juicier. Norm comes with a palette, doesn't he? A little roller decks of, of Dulux paint charts. Yes, that's yes. a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't want any of it. No, they don't, they don't like any of his suggestions. But we don't hear much else from this story beyond that. They, they buy a lovely pint for Norm to ask him to do the job. But it, I suppose the main arc of this is just to sort of carried forward the story of them being budding parents and being sort of conscious and maybe a bit uh, academic about their child's development. But we don't hear much else from this story besides that, I'd say. No, we just... Norm, can you make something as grey and dull as possible? (laughs) 
All right, uh, do we know if it's going to be a boy or a girl? We are not going to cram sexual identity down our baby's throat. So, naturally, the world should be sexually neutral. Great. Fine, I can do that. When I'm finished, your kid won't have a clue what sex it is. They do say as well there that their child will receive affection from parental embrace administered at generously scheduled intervals. Yep. <laughs> and I think that's probably the, the most of the... That's all we get from the cranes this episode, I think. <laughs> Should we go on to that juicy, juicy gambling you were talking about earlier, Juicy, James? juicy gambling. Yes. Oh, I love... Yes. Because the first game's over by this point, and uh, we know who the winner of the first pool is. It's Woodrow. Yeah, it's Woody Boyd, the person who was... Uh, least convinced about uh, placing a bet. And initially, uh, the other people, uh, Cliff included, were like, well, how, Woody's not going to take the money from his friends. And Sam says, I'll, I'll convince him kind of thing. Hey, he doesn't need much convincing. Nope. <laughs> he takes the money and he loves taking the money. Can't get enough of their money. Yeah, he starts singing and dancing. I'm in the money. It's not what he sings, but it's what he was thinking. Wasn't it? Yeah, he starts gloating a bit, and Sam has to warn him a bit about this, about gloating and being a sore winner. I think it's sore winner's the phrase, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, just, just you know, lacking any grace. <laughs> yeah, well, as Sam says to him, there's a kind of tradition amongst gamblers, especially gamblers who want to stay alive, that you don't, you know, dance and wave money around in front of people you just won it from. And Woody replies, can I sing? <laughs> <laughs> And this builds up a bit of a, a running pattern where Woody wins many a gamble in this episode. He does, yeah. It's a game of four quarters, is, <laughs> is, is that a phrase? It's a game of four quarters, and Woody wins at least two of them. Yeah, and, and through this he has to learn how to be a gracious winner because the next time he wins it's the total reverse where Sam has to say the only thing that people hit worse than a guy who gloats is the guy that stands there smug when they know that he's gloating on the inside. He's right. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, James. So you should just go, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Or, or, huh. There is a, no, what you do, if you've won $100, yeah. Yeah. I think you can probably, there weren't many people, you could probably buy a round, I reckon. Oh, yeah, yeah, you'd be down. a couple of pictures. You'd you'd be down. You'd still be up at least $50. Oh, yeah. At least. By everyone, by everyone who chipped in. Not if a crowd of, you know, if a stag night or a bachelor party just walked in, you're not going to be, you guys. Oh, oh, oh not, not I'm on with the whole bar, just the, those like five <laughs> people who were sat there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Easy. But uh, Woody instead starts to count his money in clear view of everyone. But during his counting, he finds a little bit of a note on one of the dollars, James. Oh, yeah, this was disturbing. As is much... Of what happens in Cliff's life. Do you know what? I didn't think it was too disturbing. I think it was. The reason I think it's so disturbing is because Cliff is about 40 years old. And <laughs> it's it's uh, the fact that there's... this. Basically, it's a note from his mum, his mother, written on, on this dollar bill or whatever. And it's quite sweet, quite sentimental. I think the reason I find it disturbing is because... It alludes to a kind of Freudian relationship quite often, doesn't it? Between Cliff and Ma. Uh, I thought this was very innocent. I thought this was a sweet little moment. It says, happy 30th birthday, Cliffy Bits. Sorry, I didn't have time to shop. Love, Ma. And I thought, what a sweet thing for him to carry around in his wallet. 
I, I, why would you carry it around <laughs> in your wallet? I just, you know, laminate it. Laminate it? Laminate it. I thought it was like it's the equivalent of carrying a, a photo, I'd say. Oh, I carry no photo. Or a, or a lucky penny. What What is unfortunate, though, is obviously when uh, everyone else in the bar f- finds this dollar, he's not going to get away with that lightly. And I was pleased to see Norm be the, the first person to make fun of him with this. Norm puts in a your mama joke, which we've... Uh... <laughs> We've not heard in cheers, really. Dearest Norm, thanks for hanging out with my dorky son. You're a saint. Love, Ma Clavin. P.S. I'm writing this in the nude. My Ma didn't write that. My Ma's never been nude in her life. Classic Norm having a go at Cliff's Ma. Cliff's mom, yeah. Making fun of him. I think Ma Clavin could take Norm. I think Ma Clavin's feisty. <laughs> I know she is. We've seen her in a few episodes, definitely. Yeah, I, I think I think she she'll fight dirty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Moonglow won't know what hit him. Yeah, exactly. Well, amongst all this gambling, James, we also get some of Carla's story uh, develop as she's waiting and waiting for Eddie to send a present, anything. Yes. At this point, she's getting a di- she's getting desperate. She's watching the clock, and eventually, some lovely flowers arrive, and they say, "Happy second anniversary from your loving husband." Edward Lebeck. And Carla throws them on the floor and she says, these aren't from Eddie. You guys sent them. I know they're not from Eddie because his name isn't Edward. His name is Guy. Guy, which is a, is, a, um, is a type of butter. I think so. Like a lard. Like a lard. <laughs> his real name is Lard. <laughs> I, I once found in the fridge a nice block of what I thought was butter and I was like, ooh. I'd go well on toast. No, it's just 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 lard. Just, just ghee. Just a lovely slice of <laughs> ghee. <laughs> but she throws those flowers on the floor. She says to all of them, Eddie's gonna send me a present. You'll all see. But what we do see is she doesn't have that much faith, James, because she goes straight over to the payphone and orders a, some flowers for herself. Yep, orders two dozen long-stemmed roses. And not long later, these roses arrive. Carla shows off and says, I told you he'd come through, I told you he would. And it all takes a bit of a turn because after these flowers arrive, uh, a phone call comes through. Woody picks it up and says, quite loudly, Carla, the florist didn't accept your card for those flowers. You'll need to bring cash in the morning. You rumbled her. Bring it in. He's done um, it a few times. I think that's a, a fairly common thing now. Someone says something, Woody gets a phone call, says it out loud. It's true, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's that's a Cheers staple. It's when, that should be on the bingo card for season seven of Cheers. <laughs> uh, I don't know if there's a bingo card for Cheers. There's a drink, There's various drinking games you can play with Cheers. Drink when Norm drinks. You want me to die? <laughs> there's a comedian in the UK, Bill Bailey. And he played a drinking game to uh, Dallas, which was drink when when they drink, you know, and they, they, you know, they drink whiskey or something, you know, it's, um, you know, which family's in, surprise, surprise, Dallas. And, you know, the the game was drink when they drink. The episode that he attempted to do this with, it happened to be an episode where there was a gala, uh, you know, like a big society event. And he drank whenever anyone on screen drank and he got sent to hospital. 
<laughs> so we're saying drink responsibly is what we're saying. <laughs> wow, luckily we didn't play that game with this episode. <laughs> but I tell you what does happen in this episode, James. Not only do you have to drink responsibly, you also have to gamble responsibly. And that's what people learn the hard way here because of this night, there is only two winners. Woody wins all the pools up until the end when Rebecca wins. Yeah. And uh, she's a bit of a sore loser with it, I'd say. Yeah, she, read when weep farm boy, is that <laughs> quote. Um, and she's celebrating. And then uh, the most Irish detective in the world comes in. <laughs> Why is he the most Irish detective? Because his surname is McGuinness. <laughs> oh, what's his first name? Hamish? Patrick? Come on now. It's McGuinness. Get out of here. Well, he's an off-duty cop, and he uh, gives Rebecca a bit of a a stern talking to. I think he was looking for a bribe, if I'm honest. I'm Detective McGuinness, Boston Police Department. I'm off-duty here, but uh, for your sake, I really hope there isn't any gambling going on here. Gambling? No, sir. I earned this money. I'm a prostitute. That isn't better, is it? Um, no, this is just a little joke. We, we play a little game here, but we never play for keepsies. See, I take the money in, and I give the money back like this. Not helping, Rebecca. Yeah, it doesn't really help with that. <laughs> it, it does not. Uh, but he just shakes his head and doesn't really seem to pay her any mind. Because she says, it's a game, I, you know, I take money, but then I give the money back. And then she she gives the money back, and then Detective McInnes leaves. And I don't know why he was there in the first place. <laughs> For plot. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she starts handing the money back to people, and then as soon as he turns away, she starts grabbing it back off them again. A narrow escape, I'd say. <laughs> and then after that, we get... Uh, what we think is finally the present from Eddie. We do. We, we get a call from Serafina, mm-hmm. uh, Carla's, Carla's daughter, that Anthony is going to drop off a package. Quite literally, drop off. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it was like a scene from Grand Theft Auto, where uh, uh, the door opens and a box flies down. And I almost expected it to be like, you know, 50 XP. Or... Uh, or <laughs> Side mission unlocked. The reason that he drops it off thus is because the brakes on the car are broken. So it can't stop, but they can fling things uh, out of an open door. Good shot, though, to be fair, mm. if they're going in a moving car. Uh, the, the box did say fragile on it. <laughs> but luckily for... I say luckily, uh, there was nothing fragile in there. It was his old laundry that needed washing. That's if that isn't romance, then what is, you know? <laughs> Which this enrages Carla a bit. She's annoyed by this one, I'd say. Yeah. Well, rightfully so, because she says, Yeah, he sends me his laundry every every other week, but not today, not on our anniversary. Surely this must be a mistake. She thinks that he's hidden something in there and, and sort of rifles through all of these dirty clothes only to find nothing and is clearly disappointed afterwards. There's not much Eddie could do now at this point to to prove that he didn't forget. But he manages to pull it back because all Carla needed was for her to know that he still didn't forget. 
And what he does is he gives her a phone call. Yeah. And he says, yeah, no, sorry, sorry, uh, sorry, I forgot. I'll make it up to you, basically. No, he doesn't say, sorry, I forgot. He says, sorry, I'm busy. That's important. Mm. He's been very busy with the, uh, with the show um, and he's been meaning to call her. It sounds like there's been quite a few changes with the show. Uh, it sounds like, I can't remember, was the tour extended at all? Cast member changes, tour dates changed. It's, it's relatively unimportant. Basically, he's still on the road. Yeah, he says something about that. I think the the pigs are up themselves or something. <laughs> he says something about the pigs. Yeah, he would. He says the pigs think that they're God's gift to ice. And they have quite a nice conversation. Uh, they say happy anniversary and they hang up. After this, Carla, she feels like something's a, a, a bit suspicious about this all. And she confronts Sam in the office. Yeah, uh, rightfully so. Um, cause it is suspicious. Yeah. She believes that Sam gave Eddie a bit of a tip off and said, it's your anniversary. You need to call your wife. And Sam denies this. Carla threatens him with a curse, <laughs> which uh, is quite a nice moment because Sam's like, I think he says anything but the hair. Yeah. Carla claims that all the women in her family could curse anyone at, at any time, mm. which is interesting. I've never heard about this before. I feel she should have <laughs> mentioned it by now, but she curses because he lied, right? Potentially, she says, "Oh well, if you did lie, then you know your tongue will swell up." She says, "You'll have to buy a seat on a plane for it." Yep, that's big. Sam and tongue. <laughs> but Sam sticks to his guns. He says that he didn't tell him, and then sees Carla out of the office. And then when Sam is alone in there, he, he starts a uh, oh. Yeah, he says, how gullible do you think I am, but in a much more blubbered way. Okay, we'll put the quote in because it's much nicer to listen to (laughs) than than whatever I was doing. Family curse. How gullible do you think I am? (laughs) Oh, no. No. And that's how the episode ends. A nice end. A busy episode, I'd say. But a nice nice moments throughout. And it was a busy bar as well. Because <laughs> there's a lot of guest cast. Oh yeah, we want to hear the guests. Yeah. Almost forgot. Well, that's why I did the segue. <laughs> we of course have Bibi Newth as Dr. Lilith Sternen. Jay Thomas as Eddie Lebeck. Anne Morgan Gilbert as Marge Thornhill. She also appeared in My Three Sons, The Dick Van Dyke Show as Millie, The Andy Griffith Show, The New Andy Griffith Show, Maud, Newhart, Murder, She Wrote, Blossom, Home Improvement, Picket Fences, Seinfeld, The Nanny, Modern Family, Grey's Anatomy, and many others. Frederick Cook as Detective McGuinness. He also appeared in Barney Miller, Starsky and Hutch, East of Eden, Hill Street Blues, Tilly J. Hooker, St. Elsewhere, Murder, She Wrote, and many others. Michael J. Hawkins as delivery man number one. He was the delivery man of the first bunch of flowers. There's also a second delivery man. And I'll tell you, oh, there's much more about the second (laughs) delivery man. It's Herb Kane, John. Mm. Herb Kane as delivery man number two. He also appeared in Noah Prentice and State Trooper. But in real life... He was a San Francisco humorist and journalist, also known as Mr. San Francisco. 
He wrote a daily column for the San Francisco Chronicle for almost 60 years. By, there's more. By 1963, he was already a guest on Carson, and even his rivals said he had the outstanding ability to take a wisp of fog, a chance phrase overheard in an elevator, a happy child on a cable car, a Devin tizzy over social reversal, a family in distress, and give each circumstance the magic touch that gives the reader an understanding eyewitness of the day's happenings. That's a, a bigger claim. Yeah, from, from his rivals as well. That's very nice. A special Pulitzer Prize was given just for him. An example of one of his musings is, cockroaches and socialites are the only things that can stay up all night and eat anything. <laughs> it's quite good, that. I like <laughs> That's that. Good. Yeah, I like that. Uh, his favorite drink was vitamin V vodka martini, and on the day of his funeral, San Francisco bars served it for 50 cents. I think we know how special then, James. I, I feel I've given quite the overview of this uh, one <laughs> delivery man. But yeah, I think vitamin V vodka martini is, you know, I think I think this journalist humorous there, I think, yeah, we'll go for what he likes. Mark Arnott as Mark. Tim Cunningham as Tim, Steve Ginelli as Steve, Peter Schreiner as Pete, and Philip Pullman is uncredited as Phil. And a few of them were the gamblers, I'm sure. They know when to fold them, they know when to hold them, they know when (laughs) to walk away, but most importantly, they know when to run. (laughs) What a lovely cast, James, and what a great episode, I really enjoyed it. Oh, it's a box. What's in there? Oh, it's all dirty laundry, John. (laughs) <laughs> there's some trivia in the pockets of those coats there's yeah oh i've got to go through all kinds to get to that trivia <laughs> but as usual before we open our letters we have to give a shout out to our norms on patreon so this goes out to treb curry if you want that special norm treatment then check out our patreon page for that and so much more well i found one here james oh good i'm gonna kick off with uh the gang have a bit of a debate about the worst way to die <laughs> What are some of the suggestions offered by the gang? Uh, one of them was to do with the banister. Sliding down a razor banister was yeah, one. Yeah, I thought that was one, yeah. Being eaten alive by rats was another. What was Fraser's worst way to die? Alone, knowing that you've never been loved. Yeah, that was... <laughs> I thought I'd kick off the trivia with a, a sombre note, maybe. Thanks, John. That's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Let's lighten the mood. What does Carla cite as an example of pillow talk? I don't know. Calling Eddie a dent-nosed, toothless little frog. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what reason was Woody late to work today? That's a good question. Sounds to do with his shoes. No, so Woody's famously on time because he sets his watch ten minutes ahead so he won't be late for things. The issue this morning was he lost his watch. Yeah, that is the uh, <laughs> the clincher, isn't it? Call Me Irresponsible was previously sung in another episode of Cheers. Which episode? Oh, I don't know. I feel like it would have... Did, did Lilith sing it? No. Did Diane sing it? No. Oh, who sang it? I'll give you a clue. They're a Sinatra fan. And it's not Al. <laughs> oh, was, was it old coach? No, it was Nick. In season three, episode nine, uh, An American Family. We haven't seen Nick for a long time. 
Yeah, he's off in Vegas doing his thing. <laughs> Will that song be uh, featuring in our Spotify playlist, James, I wonder? Oh, probably. <laughs> in this episode, we find out that Norm's done a few nurseries before in his time. He recently did his sister-in-law's. But what style, what, what motif did they go for? What was the mural on the wall, James? Smurfs? Gummy bears rampant in a field of Smurfs. Ah. It sounds like a sort of surrealist painting. How long have Vera and Norm been married? 34 years. John, he's in his late 30s. <laughs> <laughs> 24 years. Uh, 18. Yeah. That's close, they were, I think. They were, they were high school sweethearts, got married after high school. 18 years. Yeah, well done. <laughs> Quite rudely in this episode, Woody gets asked, uh, why don't you tell us about one of your relatives who lost a body part in some farm equipment? How does Woody reply to this? He says, well, actually, my uncle, and then he mentions an uncle. No, he says, have I ever told you about my Aunt Lefty? Of course, Aunt Lefty. <laughs> Ironically, she lost a toe. <laughs> <laughs> Lefty's just her actual name. Uh, it's not, but, you know, I thought it'd be fun to, to fool you for a bit there. <laughs> Last call? Oh, we've better, better pick something. I think let's honour old Herbie C. I think definitely. Did you get a mix on how to make that cocktail, James? Yeah, but you'll have to go to Patreon to find it. Oh. oh. <laughs> or, you know, just go to any bar in San Francisco. That's true. Yeah. We could always do that. What was the name of that again? Vitamin V Vodka Martini. A vitamin V. <laughs> well, I guess we'll be toasting Herb as well as this episode. There's a lot going on. Some gambling, some anniversaries, and let's not forget, a nursery. This has been Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. <laughs>